Welcome back to the Velo Chumps podcast. We have a great show for you this week. We have the whole crew is back. Randy Nicewanger, good to see you after your absence last week. How you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you so much, Eric. Good to see you guys. Congratulations on a great weekend. Yeah, you should be feeling better than us because you didn't do the race. The rest of us, we raced Barry Roubaix. That's a pretty exciting, uh, pretty big event now, huh, Chad, compared to the old days. Chad Locker, how you doing? I'm doing well. Yeah, no, the, the event is, I don't know, double, maybe pushing triple the size it was back when I did it years ago. So, no, it's definitely... Uh, Definitely bigger, a lot more fun than I remember it being. So, yeah, I had a great weekend. Yeah, we had a lot of fun. Ryan Brainer, you had fun at the event. It was your first time, right? This was my first time. Um, I think they did a very good job organizing everything. The after party was good, although we'll get to, I'm sure, at some point in time, the fact that it was put on by a beer sponsor and you didn't get free beer. Yeah, terrible. Um, but anyways, I'm doing better than Chad. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Mike Green, how about you? How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. It was, uh, yeah, my two cents on that race was, uh, to me, it is 99% the same as the Shawamagon 40-mile uh, mountain bike race. The only difference being, of course, it's a little bit shorter up in Wisconsin, but um, it just it felt like a drier, uh, nicer conditions, more gravel bike version of it. Similar, similar types of punchy hills and ascents, descents, speed. Um, of course, there's way more mud up in Wisconsin, but anybody that likes to do that Shawamagon race, I would encourage them to do the Berry race. Anybody who likes the Berry race, I would tell them the same. Uh, grab a mountain bike and head up to Wisconsin for the Shawamagon race. It's awesome. Did, did we mention we did Barry Roubaix? I can't remember if we gave that intro or if we just started talking about a great No, week. I did say that. I yeah. said we did Barry Roubaix. Eric, Eric said <laughs> it. I, then I have very poor attention deficit, apparently. Short-term memory doesn't even <clears> last. I'm like a nap. Yep, like, oh, like well. not even two minutes, but that's all right. I'll cut that part out. Or I'll leave it in. You know, either way, it'll be funny. I don't really care. Yeah, exactly. Moving on. <laughs> so, so Randy, I want to tell you a quick story about this since you weren't there. So our good buddy Jerry, he came and did the race with us, and we all stayed at the same hotel because it's far enough away. We had to drive up the night before. And then our race, unfortunately, the 64-mile race, started at 11 a.m., which is kind of late. Normally with an event like that, you'd like to get out the door a little bit early, especially with a long drive after the, the race is over. But, you know, we had to start at 11. So we weren't rushed in the morning. We just kind of went over to the hotel breakfast area. We were hanging out. And Green went over to make some waffles, and Chad and Jerry and I are sitting there. And while Green was making waffles, Jerry says to us, Hey, I can't believe the amount of gels <laughs> that Mike and Randy, or, I mean, that Mike and Ryan had to bring to this race. And we were just kind of like, yeah, I know. They seem like they're going to eat a lot of gels. And, and, you know, Jerry, he's just like, he's like, but the amount, <laughs> I was like, where are you going to put that? I mean, he was like dumbfounded by the amount of gels you're trying to bring on this. So what I want to know, Randy, being a medical expert is before Mike jumps in here and starts defending himself, I want to know from a nutritional standpoint, how many grams of carbs do you think you should be consuming per hour in a, an endurance event like this? Because, like, you're the right person to ask. You weren't at this event, but you've done endurance athlete, athletics. I mean, you're you're a still non-reformed triathlete, so you've done very, very long full Ironman events. And you, uh, 
you also know Mike. So, and you're a medical expert. So I'd like to know, what do you think? How many grams of carbs should you be trying to consume per hour in an event like this? Well, I guess it's, it's always going to be individually spe specific, right? I mean, it's depend there's, there's always those dependent and independent variables, but I would say, you know, 80 to a hundred, somewhere in, somewhere in that range. He must've read his text message. Mike just sent him. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't send me that. That was, a, that was off the wall, just kind of, you know, generic response. So Mike, tell us about your nutrition plan for this race. Well, I was shooting to replace 100% of my calories, so I had 1,000 calories per hour. <laughs> no, no, no. no. <laughs> yeah. That's insane. No, no, no. That is, uh, you know, in the past, I've said, I, I'd say for all of my running that I've done, and even uh, Ironman, it's been substantially less than that for the run, for the, for the ride part of the Ironman, and whether that was, you know, a few couple hundred calories per hour or 40 to 60 grams of carbs per hour. But in looking into uh, and reading online what people are talking about for Leadville, it's always been 80 to 100 grams of carbs per hour. They don't talk about calories. Um, but of course, that's at race pace. And, you know, the 80, it might be for the lower weight guy, the 160 pounds, the 100 might be for a 200 pounder. Um, I was definitely not going at race pace. Uh, I wasn't feeling great anyways, or having a great weekend. So, but I was, I definitely wasn't able to push myself, but my whole intention for the weekend was to ride with a similar amount of intake of what race day at Leadville would bring me. So that was, you know, 80 to hundred grams. And I will say, you know, for those first three hours, I was probably closer to hundred grams. And then that quickly fell off shortly after like three and a half hours. Why, why did it fall off, Mike? Uh, I ended up taking it in all those, <laughs> all of my gels and my, my scratch drinks. And, uh, you know, I, I always planned on depending on the aid stations and grabbing something, but I think by that 45 mile aid station, and it was right after that, that Chad handed me a gel. Um, I really felt, uh, what's the word <laughs> full, full? <laughs> uh, I did satiated, satiated, you know, there's been other races where I've actually been riding or running and thinking, holy cow, like I'm in a serious calorie deficit. I never felt that way this weekend. Um, but even though Chad gave me that gel, I did end up using it closer to mile 50 or 55 or so. Um, and I don't know if I needed it, but it was definitely, you know, right. Like I say, after three hours, my my carbs per hour definitely took a serious taper. But to prove that I did have uh, plenty of food and liquid coming in, when I finished that race, I did not immediately start searching for bananas or cookies or chips or, or water. I just felt it's like I finished the race and I was like, all right, I'm I'm filled with my liquid. I'm not dehydrated and I've got a crap load of uh, calories well, in me. Well, that's no fun. That's not how you should be wanting to finish a race. I. I agree 100%. And, uh, you know, that's that's one of the things is uh, there's something to be said about ha taking in too much liquid and too many calories, and especially when it comes to running. But this isn't a running podcast. But you Damn should straight. definitely you should definitely see your weight drop and you should be down, you know, five to ten pounds at the end of a of a race effort. If you're not, you know, then you you clearly took in too much. And that was probably a detriment to your performance. 
Well, and I think there's collateral impact there, Mike. So what you're saying is, so 80 to 100 carbs, grams per carbs, grams of carbs per hour are really, you know, kind of, my reference point is triathlons where you have a marathon afterwards, right? So it's always like payback with interest on your carb or in your calorie burn per hour. But the issue that I have is that all the collateral nutrients that you're taking in, I think you're, you're, your feeling of fullness is really secondary to the amount of sodium that you have. Sodium causes, you know, abdominal bloating. And so I think that's probably what the, the negative impact, the diminishing returns of having all that carbs, all that carb intake is, is occurring. Well, speaking of that, Ryan is going to be, uh, preparing for some abdominal bloating coming up because he decided he needed more sodium, not less. So, well, and I don't know if we want to talk about this separately or not, but Mike, like, so Mike and I didn't ride together, but at the end you, I mean, at least you made it out to be that you had like a rough day, but like hearing your nutrition talk just now, it sounds like you had an okay day. So like, do you feel like it was you executed and your legs were there and you know, you're happy with how the weekend went or did you like fall apart like I did? And I don't know, like, I, I guess I never heard the back end of that. So the one thing is, is typically I'm super hydrated throughout the week. I drink a ton of water I, uh, every day, every night. But on that ride out with Eric and Jerry, I didn't drink any water in the car. Uh, I was just conscious about thinking about stopping. I didn't feel like stopping on the ride. Uh, we went out to eat. I had that one glass of water. And typically if I was sitting around at night or before bed, I would drink water. But we went back to the hotel. There was no water there just on the faucets. Of course, I didn't drink anything. Um, and the next morning I only had coffee. I, I know for a fact I was dehydrated more than normal. Uh, so I might've started in a deficit from a hydration perspective and having my muscles well hydrated to start the race. I intended to start off with the first 15 to 20 miles. Uh, what I would say was at a 70% effort level and it was, but right after that, or sometime I connected with Chad around there a few times and I wasn't feeling great due to the heat and what was going to be a a middle effort for me ended up being, this is a, you know, a survivor ride. So were you cramping? I ended up, no, I never really had any cramping. I never felt like garbage, uh, from that perspective or from a performance perspective, it was just like exhausting. I was just really hot, just um, you know, I, I didn't necessarily feel like I had anything left to put out above that, but I also felt why would I push myself when ultimately it's, it's going to be a good training day for me. And, um, you know, it kind of proves it yesterday. I felt like, uh, Saturday was a hard effort training day. Um, I didn't walk around awkwardly or have any strange muscle issues. And then today I, I did an endurance ride today. I decided, decided to kind of save myself moving forward. But um, I think I could have done a hard effort on the bike today. I don't think I necessarily needed the endurance ride today. So again, you know, it proves that the, the muscles were uh, well-fed during the race and it wasn't necessarily a race effort, but I don't know if I had any more to give that day. So, so Chad, what I want to ask you because that that all was kind of boring to me. What I want to ask you is, in a non-competitive race situation, what is the ideal number of McDonald's stops per hour to get you through a you know a non non-competitive race day? I mean, I mean, two's good. I think if we did if we did <laughs> yeah. if we did like a hundred k, I think two McDonald's stops is good. Maybe the first one is Coke and an apple pie, and yes, 
maybe more maybe more coke and some french fries at the second stop i mean i'm, I'm you, nice hot day i think i'd be feeling it at that point that'd be that'd be pretty good but yeah um i i so i had another question for mike so he said at the end of the race you should be a good five to ten pounds lighter so i guess i was kind of wondering was did you get on the scale with your jersey pockets full of all the stuff before the race? <laughs> because between you and Ryan, that was like a lot of crap you you brought. Because I was like the exact opposite of preparation for this race. So when before you guys showed up, like Ryan is like unpacking like all this stuff that he's got, and I'm like, is this for a team or is this <laughs> for like an individual person? Because my idea of getting nutrition for this event was I literally hit my bike shop on the way out of town on a conference call and I walked in, I literally bought like six gels. It was like, yeah, it's good enough for the whole weekend. That's fine. And walked like bottom and walked out the door. And then Eric saw me making up my bottles the night before. Like I didn't even have like planned nutrition. It was like, I had a leftover, uh, heed powder drink thing at the bottom of my toolbox from one of the prior events. <laughs> eh, this will go my water bottles. It's good enough. That was literally my nutrition plan for the event. It seemed to work for you though, Chad, you, you were fine. It was great, yeah. I I think what there were two planned stops. I maybe no two and one unofficial. So I, I waited for Green, um, despite the fact when he passes me when I had a shramical, as I like to call it. It's like <laughs> he's like, "Are you okay?" And I'm like there with no chain on my bike, like, "No, man." He's like, "All right, just keeps just on keeps riding." Keeps on riding. <laughs> like, you dork. So I, I would have, I would have stopped for Randy. I know. You <laughs> I appreciate you, Mike. I get my bike back together and I chase him down and I. Uh, catch it before the next the next water's up my hands randy you did loved it my hands were just they look like i'd been working underneath the car for like hours they were just totally black cakiness and i'm just thinking i need to just push green's nice clean jersey up this hill with my hands i'm thinking that's good payback right yep i was too i think nice. we've done enough episodes here that like eric and chad are the technical experts of bike building and bike rehab I think we've distinguished enough Randy's prowess in uh, putting together bike stuff. So that's why Mike would stop for Randy. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, kind of. I didn't want to hear Chad uh, bitch and complain about SRAM the whole time. So you had to get away. Think, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I knew if I stopped, it was just going to be him uh, going down that whole road. So, you know, no. the shame of it was, I, you know, I had the bike set up, you know, rival one by. Honestly, the gearing and everything was fantastic for the day. And it's like we come out of that first sand double track and we hit Sager Road. And I wasn't hammering. I was just following, some, following somebody in front of me. All of a sudden, the chain falls off. I'm like, <laughs> what? <laughs> What that wasn't wasn't race pace was nothing it was just going on was like middle of the cassette I'm like what the bleep come on I don't know man you should have been hammering that would have kept it on there to kept the tension up uh, whatever it's just well you know what they say Chad sounds like you need a new bike yeah must be must be <laughs> I guess that's it <laughs> it's awesome so any other thoughts about the race or are we gonna move on to another topic. All, all I wanted to say was, is Randy definitely missed a cool race. It yeah. was, uh, it was uh, an awesome blend of tough gravel climbs and some fast road sections. And I think, um, you know, it's something that he should definitely consider next year. Yeah, it, it, I, go ahead. I was actually talking to Ryan earlier today, and and I mentioned to him how how um, how much I was thinking about you guys over the weekend and. And honestly, wishing I was with you. Unfortunately, you know, priorities in life take 
take precedence sometimes, but no, definitely a cool experience. I loved watching. I I loved listening to the stories that you guys had over our message stream. So it sounds like you had a great time and I will definitely look forward to the next time that we can race together. Awesome. The the only caution I'd have is that the two times I have lucked out doing this event basically was this weather, right? 75 to 80 degrees, blissfully sunny. That is not always the case with Barrier Bay. The weather we were having today, 35 and sleeting outside, yep. very much a possibility at Barrier Bay. Well, so. <laughs> I mean, a little bit more uh, harder ground might have been better in some parts of that course for sure. So we'll see. But, you know, what can you do? We're, we're, we're used to... Uh, we're used to having intense weather training rides when we Randy asks us if he wants if we want to go out riding without looking at the forecast first, right, Mike? Oh, you went on mute. I'm like, what the hell happened to this guy? Thought it was a Bruce Lee movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was gonna say absolutely, uh, and that's and that's what makes those rides amazing. Of course, is going out in some of the most brutal weather. So. I think uh, I think we would have been okay with Barry being in the mid 30s. Yeah, yeah, we'd have been fine. Kudos to a pedal bike shop in I think it was Portage. One of the guys that rode up with us realized he forgot his helmet, and at like the eleventh hour on Friday night, had to go scramble and buy a helmet. Well, good for them. They sold a helmet. Sounds like yeah. it's actually they want to give him kudos for forgetting his helmet and needing to buy a new one from them. <laughs> well, I just I was shocked that on a Friday night at like I figured they were going to be closed. And so it all worked out. You know, even the horrible bike shop near us might realize if there was a giant race of 6,000 people coming into the neighborhood the night before, it might behoove them to stay open just in case someone forgot something. Even they might have figured that out. I doubt it. (laughs) And Ryan, I'm surprised you missed the opportunity to pick up a couple more gels. Yeah, exactly. I mean... (laughs) I thought I had enough and I didn't. (laughs) All right. All right. I'm going to move us on to the next topic. I have a question for all of you. And uh, I know I didn't give you forewarning. So it's just, you know, but I'm sure you think about this. So we all use Strava, right? We're all checking it quite frequently. We're all using it. We're probably keeping track of our miles, keeping track of our rides, keeping track of a lot of things on there. So... So I'm going to start with you, Mike Green. If you could add any feature to Strava, what would you add? Uh, I think it. I would build in similar abilities to uh, build threads in the way that they are on Facebook. A little bit more social okay. version of Strava. Uh, you know, there's already the ability to comment on people's activities, but I think um, just building the social aspect would actually probably be better and, and more of us would move away from Facebook because we're primarily using Facebook to set up rides and talk about uh, local mm-hmm. riding events, etc. So I think if there was something that they could build on in Strava like that, I think that's where I would yeah, go. Yeah, so like ride planning features and, you know, making it a little bit more accessible and easier and... And, and chat type of activities and things like that. Yep. Yep. Perfect. All right. Chad Locker, what would you want to add to Strava if you could add any feature? I would like to have a linking integration for it so I could access Strava through LinkedIn 
so I could actually surf Strava at work and look like I'm legitimately doing some productive function besides checking the app on my phone. That is that, actually that clever. I like that. That would be a good feature. I'm a fan of this feature. So that would be truly useful. So if, if the guys at Strava could get a hold of the guys at LinkedIn and figure out how to make that work, there's a whole group of people out there that are going to increase bandwidth for both applications, I believe. That's that's great. That's a great idea. I think you should definitely get in touch with them. So, Randy Nicewonger, if you could add one feature to Strava, what would you add? Well, Chad stole mine, but I would think that, you know, start, you know, you have to start the KOMs, and when it's linked to your Garmin, that's when you know when their KOM is coming up. I think just having that auto-feed of the KOMs to your Garmin would be a nice feature. Okay. Fair enough. That would actually help out uh, Laura Wagner because she manually stars every segment in the entire area. So it would just save her a lot of time. You know, that'd be great. Ryan Brainer, what would you add to Strava if you could add one feature? Uh, I don't know if this is plausible, but I want a built-in sweat test system. <laughs> so as I sweat on my head unit and it links to Strava, it could tell me what my electrolyte deficit is. So I can. <laughs> that's not a good. That's not a. That's not a Strava feature. That's no, a hardware okay, so, feature. So seriously, I don't know if this is Strava or Garmin or Wahoo related or whatever. But um, we live. I understand if you live in Colorado or a mountainous area, but where we live, it's super flat. And we've talked about our KOM hunting experiences on this before. And I, if your segment has an overall negative gradient, it will not give you a live segment feed. Mm-hmm. So I guess that's what I would fix. Like if it's, I understand if it's like 7% or greater or something, sure, maybe it's not safe to give you a live segment update. But if it's like negative 0.2, I'd like to still have okay. the live segment availability. All right, cool. That's a good one. I, I I can appreciate that because some of our negative segments here are just not any more dangerous than the segment one street down that's 0.1% positive gradient. They're basically exactly the same when you ride them. So I, I get that one. So I'll give you guys mine. What I would like to have is, you know, nowadays it, it'll pop up and say, oh, your your ride was virtual or your ride was a gravel ride or your, you know, it, it, it kind of does that automatically. What I would like that to be able to do is then you could have a default bike for each activity because when I go in and ride my trainer, I have to change the bike to my trainer bike. And if I ride my gravel bike, a gravel ride, I have to change my ride, my bike to my gravel instead of my one default one. Same thing with the uh, um, privacy. I think it looks stupid when I have the... Because I, I always have my rides um, starting and hidden. And I think that's a good idea, just a PSA. I think that's a good idea for everybody, especially if you're going to put pictures of your bike out there, things of that nature. It is a very precise GPS recording of what you're doing. And if you're not hiding your start and your finish... You know, someone could track you down if that's something that they wanted to do for whatever reason. So I always hide mine. But I think it's kind of dumb to hide it in a virtual. I'm not in Watopia. No one's going to care where I started and finished. So in it, I, I think it's dumb. So I go in on the virtual rides and, and manually take that away. So I think if there was some, some things they could do that would automatically do different settings for the type of ride you were doing, I think that would be a cool feature. So... I think those were all pretty good suggestions. And I bet you all of those things we said, I bet you someone has suggested a lot of that. 
I don't know about the LinkedIn one. That was pretty. That was pretty unique. That was pretty creative. But other than that one, I'm pretty sure someone has probably suggested these things to Strava already. And you know, we've been talking on the past on this show about how some of the, you know, cycling-related companies out there are struggling. Wahoo's been struggling a lot. You know, we had people with uh, layoffs at Specialized. We were talking about various challenges within the cycling segment. So I understand that there might not be, you know, just loads and loads of bandwidth within Strava for them to have developers building all these features. But they did release a new feature just recently at Strava. Who wants to tell me about this new and exciting feature that Strava just released? I think it was last week or the week before. Who wants to tell me about this? I honestly thought it was an April Fool's joke. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking about the Spotify feature. That's correct? what I'm talking about. I think, Ryan, you look this up. Tell me, what, what, what is this thing? I just, I read a very brief article, and I have to, so I'll say what it is, and then I have a comment. So... I guess what it is is people were toggling back and forth between Strava and Spotify when they were out on a run or, you know, whatever. And so uh, the, the brief article I read made it sound like if you're hitting like play or pause on Spotify, sometimes it would interfere and like pause your run on Strava or stop your run on Strava. <laughs> what? There was like some sort of glitch in the system. And so what they did is they now embedded like Strava controls within or Spotify controls within Strava. So you don't have to toggle back and forth through the apps and it doesn't interfere anymore and like automatically end your runs and stop your runs and stuff like that. So I didn't realize people still use like the Strava app itself to capture their GPS. Like in the age of Apple watches and Garmin's and Koros and Fitbits. And like, I would like to see the percentage of Strava users that are actually using the app to capture their GPS file. Yeah. I think that's just it is we all as Garmin users probably severely underestimated the quantity of, uh, iOS and, uh, Android app users for Strava. That's the only thing that I can I can imagine. And even so, Eric, it, it, with these people still using the app, it still doesn't make sense to build Spotify into it. I agree with that, except unless that was their approach to a bug fix. <laughs> Is it available to all users or only like the premium users like we pay for? Both free and Oh, wow, users. it's for the free users. That's great. Yeah. Otherwise, extra- nobody would use it. Is there like an extra button or some feature for premium or no? I don't know what you mean by button. Like, I don't know. Is there some additional, like, do you get a Spotify perk if you're a premium member? Or like, no, nah, it's the same as everybody else. I, gets. I don't think so. I don't know. I, like I said, I never use Strava to capture it. So I don't even know what it looks like if you have Spotify going. I have no idea. So Spotify premium users will have the ability to select specific songs in their albums and play with playlists. So if you wish to change your shuffle settings, queue up specific songs or search, you will need to go through the full Spotify app by clicking the Spotify button. So essentially you could be more specific with the premium. Yeah. So they give you a Spotify button in Strava and it takes you to Spotify. Yes. That is great. That is fantastic. This is a great feature. Are you going to run out and try this? I, I, I mean, Randy, you're one of the few that still runs. Are you going to do this on one of your runs? I, I am I am an early adopter of these types of things. 
<laughs> I, I'm not sure about this. I'm, I'm, I've actually read the article by DC Rainmaker, and he seems to make a case for his wife, who hates background app clutter, to use this because that helps that. But I don't necessarily think I ever pay attention to background app clutter. Um, so no. I, <laughs> but I would argue, I mean, I, maybe I'm wrong, but I would assume DC Rainmaker's wife is running with a device. A Garmin. Well, apparently not, because she's worried something. about background app clutter. An eight. Because you know that she's man got, has a she's got eight-year-old Forerunner two twenty-five as DC Rainmaker. <laughs> I assume she's got six watches on her arm. She's high. doing tests yeah. for him. That's what I was going to say. He has a drawer of like forty-seven of them. Oh, let's be honest. His wife is just like all of our wives. <laughs> she comes from a new tech toy, and she rolls her eyes and walks out of the room. That's what my wife does every time the Jensen box is on the front porch. Yep. Okay. I'm pretty sure that's that's, that's factual. What you just said. If, if I was paid by Jensen, she'd still roll her eyes and walk out of the room. So so, are we um, it all excited about the fact that Strava spent their developing development resources on giving us a Spotify button? I mean, is this going to help? I mean, is there really that many people that this is going to help, that it's going to make a difference and grow the, the Strava user base? I mean... No, from a software perspective, in my opinion, they were resolving something or they were answering their users' requests. And this is something that the majority of people maybe internal to Strava said, yeah, who cares? You know, whatever, we're, we're doing this for Spotify and Strava. And I think someone at some point said, we should share it as a feature and put it out there as a marketing thing and say, look, look, look what we're doing for you guys. You know, that's what I've kind of seen in the past when, when it comes to software applications is things that some people might consider bug fixes or small feature enhancements. Um, you know, the developers, the support team, they're just, you know, they might just brush it off, but the account managers and the salesmen are saying, let's share this and put it out there. So that's the way I take it. And maybe it's not that simple, but that's the way I take it. I, yeah, but I still want to go back to your, your topic earlier on this app, right? Because it, it's truly one that's needed, right? The number of times that, how did we ever get together on Strava? I'm not quite sure how it happened, but it's not like I could DM Eric, yep. right? When Eric takes my KOM, what do I really want to do? It's like, well, dude, this guy's taking like three of my KOMs. I want to direct message him without putting my contact info out in the middle of the chat function. Yep. Um, of Strava, like that's what we need. And I get they could, for privacy controls, they could put something on to hide it, right? Like, dear Eric, somebody you don't know wants to DM you. Do you want to accept it? And you could block it or not, right? But there's, that's what we need. That is something yeah. I'm, I think everyone on here could agree that app needs. Yep. And it's time, even if it's a premium feature, like give it only to the premium people, but start somewhere with it for crying out loud. Yeah, it's yeah. for sure. It's definitely a needed function. And people have been asking Strava for this for years. I'm talking about what seven, eight years. Probably people have been like, there's been a mass, huge movement around. We need a DM feature. We need a social feature. We need to be able to organize ourselves on here. And for eight years, they said, "Screw you guys. We're integrating with Spotify." Well, we've talked. We've had numerous stories on here about how we appreciate the social aspect of Strava, although it is lacking. Um, but to Chad's point, it could even say, you know, like, I think it's really creepy when somebody from like Europe 
likes my ride like how do they even see my ride but to chad's it could even say like somebody in your area wants to dm you or something like so at least you know they're like geographically like because they've hidden the flyby feature like you have to go on the web to strava to like look the flybys if you pass somebody on a ride so i agree with chad's point yep so it's uh, ryan has agreed with me and the the podcast yep that's it how rare that happens (laughs) mic drop Actually, Chad, you could have been dropping the mic even though you didn't say anything like, what's up? So, Green, you think this whole thing is just a marketing scam, basically, is what you're saying. You're saying that someone's like, hey, we should fix this little thing. And they're like, oh, let's make it a big deal because we uh, we don't we didn't give them anything else good that anybody wanted. So, yes, I think there's 10 pages of release notes uh, with bug fixes and new enhancements and the guys who are putting that stuff out there to make it public said we should share that one that's something that people will like and especially the fact that they're not even it's not necessarily a premium feature it's available for all users so it's it's nothing that they're Mm -hmm. i don't know it's it's not a huge point so you know we we talked about this last on a, a few episodes ago where they uh they're raising their price and we all kind of said we were going to stick with Strava because it has some good things. But they are raising their price. It was kind of stupid the way they did it. Remember, we had this conversation about how ridiculous their their uh, um, strategy and communication method was for doing this. And so do you think that they're saying, oh, man, we, we got to be able to try to show these people that they uh, we're, we're giving them something for this extra money. And they're just making up some BS about how this is going to uh, reduce background app clutter. It's going to make their lives better, huh, Randy? How about you? It's going to make your, make your life better, right? I'll certainly sleep better knowing that I don't have a lot of app background app clutter going on on my phone. <laughs> but I do think that's probably exactly what happened. They were sitting in a boardroom, and they're like, yeah, we're releasing a patch update or whatever, and somebody's like, oh, well, let's, let's kind of spin this in a positive light and – you know, give the people what Look, they want. Spotify does but have a brand, right? I mean, I think that's probably it. I, I agree with Mike. I think it's a marketing ploy to a certain extent. Probably fi- fixes an issue and, and it has a good brand recognition to bring people to Strava. Well, I was just, it sounds like from the article you were reading, it sounds like they kind of reinvented the original iPod shuffle. <laughs> like you only get like certain songs, but you still have to go out of, outside of Strava to get the songs you actually want. I'd assume this has to be like a runner focused more feature because I can't imagine I'm taking my iPhone out of my pocket to scroll through my Strava and my you Spotify mean, feed. You don't quad lock your iPhone to your stem? <laughs> no, no, I don't. But I mean, Froom has called me up numerous times trying to get me <laughs> to, to, to use it, but you know. Dave Froom, the, lo- the local legend of Ohio. <laughs> 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 you took my laurel wreath last week oh man <laughs> alright Green what do you got for the factoid this week so long before Calphalon get into the cooking game they were building chains with uh, Teflon coating that was, that was their original product and then they said well, what you know happened? what <laughs> This isn't working out. Yeah. That sounds like they, it would be uh, right up somebody's, uh, 
you know, these super bike nerds alley right now, you know, Teflon coated chain. Right, right. Well, I mean, yeah, that's why Chad dropped a chain. They, uh, they merged. Um, they were acquired by SRAM <laughs> and that <laughs> kind of ruined it for them. Unfortunately, I mean, I, I think we should go back to the sponsorship deal you guys have going with Sally Struthers. The fact that, you know, for just $1 a day or $30 a month, she can feed an entire village somewhere in a third world impoverished nation and bring nutrition and value. Or for that same amount of money, you and Ryan can actually be fed for at least 45 <laughs> minutes on any given <laughs> gravel event. I think tied us in to a podcast from a few weeks ago. We should know what is the CDA coefficient of carrying 22,000 calories <laughs> in the back pocket. And if we lift that off the bike, it, are you gaining more aero potential? Well, to be fair, I put all of mine in a bottle in my minute in my middle pocket after reading the Silka blog about aerodynamics, saying that I think it was the two liter USWE hydration pack is the most aero. No, no. Second most aerodynamic and a 500 mil bottle in your middle pocket is the most aerodynamic in a wind tunnel. So I had all of mine in a bottle in my middle pocket. Thank you, Silka. It didn't help me. I still so you're you, basically your, your middle pocket completely exploded and ripped and, and it just became one pocket is what you're saying by putting all of that into the one middle pocket. It, there's no way that fit back there. No, it was all in a bottle. <laughs> By the way, that is that is not an acronym. That's the word "usui." I know, but I didn't want to. I would. I didn't want to try to mispronounce it. So because we've people that have mispronounced things on this podcast have gotten annihilated. So well, I wasn't try. you Come did on, because Ryan, they out. should you, be you pronounced "usui." U S W E. Wait, why is why is Josh rating how arrow where your bottle is? I mean, does it matter? Like, if you're going to die because you don't have enough water, like, bring the bottle. Like, who cares how arrow it is? No, I, there's a backstory, but they what they did is they took an unbound Strava file and then did like two bottles on the bike and then two bottle uh, two bottles in the triangle and then one on the down. You know, every variety of hydration you could think of. And they put it through a wind tunnel simulation for like unbound preparation with Dylan Johnson. And actually it was pretty interesting. Like I said, a bottle, uh, it was a 500 mil bottle in the middle pocket was the most aerodynamic friendly. And then the USWI hydration pack was the second most. Did they test it in a crosswind? Because it's not like you're always in a headwind when you're out in the middle of a cornfield. Like what? Doing, you know, Crosswinds? What are yeah. you talking about? I'm sure. No, Josh is a very professional and comprehensive. You know, he's a he. You know, he's he's a highly sought after consultant, even by World Tour teams. I'm sure he tested it at several yaw angles and came up with the um, aggregate best position for the extra bottle during Unbound. I'm pretty sure that that's what I would expect from Josh Portner. And weren't you the one just trying to sell me his chain lube? That chain is lube cool. is fantastic. Chain lube is great. It is so right. good. <laughs> of all the money you spend on bikes, you need to buy this chain lube. The chain, chain lube, lube is fantastic. Chain lube is the cyclist snake oil in a bottle. <laughs> no. Everybody's got it. No, no, this stuff no, is legit. No, this is good chain lube. I, I don't. I don't know what else is also good. I can tell you what's bad, <laughs> and it starts with an M and ends with "uck." <laughs> Off. But Chad, that that synergetic. I used it the whole time when I got that eight thousand mile chain. It was like every minimum once a week. Uh, 
cleaning and reapplying the lube and uh you know like probably like 200 miles and uh yeah that chain lasted eight eight thousand miles what an endorsement that was awesome right. well when i run out of the nine thousand samples of every other <laughs> chain loop sitting on my in my shelf i'll consider it <laughs> oh i got about eight thousand more for you then <laughs> and I'm i still have I, I have no problem using your using your muck off that you don't like fine with me free lube uh. Well, you know, if the problem is us having all this whole conversation about chain loop, someone out there is going to hunt us down and dog us to hot wax our chain instead of using lube. It's like you guys are completely off base with any lube you're using. You got to do the hot, hot melt wax, which I'm just not prepared to uh, invest in the time and effort to to do all that, even though they 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 claim that it's um easier I'm, I'm i'm i have a hard time buying it have you ever ridden a bike with a hot wax i chain? haven't my shop my shop used to like offer it like as a service like you give them the chain they put it in the parts cleaner make it mint and after they'd service your bike you could pay them like a nominal fee and they'd put the wax chain mm -hmm. back on your it is so loud <laughs> that is, it's obnoxious like it's it's awful like no i don't care it can be faster but i'm not listening to that racket i'm sorry my, my favorite was i was listening to a podcast with air um what's his name the guy from uh zero friction cycling adam kieran so i was listening to this guy and he was talking about well it's great when you wax because you know let's say you go out on a real muddy dirty wet ride and you bring the the chain you know you bring the bike back and now that chain you really need to clean it. You can't ride the bike again without doing a deep clean and resetting that chain because it's going to do damage to your drivetrain if you don't clean it. So if you wax, all you have to do, pop the chain off the bike, throw it in the wax pot, and it cleans itself. And he's talking about like, oh, yeah, just taking your chain on and off. That's just like super simple. That's like the solution. And I'm thinking, this is nuts. Who wants to take their chain off and throw it into hot melt wax, re reinstall their chain every time that they go on a bike ride? I don't know, man. I can't see it. It doesn't it doesn't appeal so does, to me. So does he have a, a drawer full of like 47 quick links since you're not supposed to reuse those? Well, he actually talked about that. He said you have to buy the YBN ones because you can reuse them five times. He specifically said that on that exact segment. So, No, no thanks. <laughs> I reuse the Shimano ones five times, whatever. They haven't failed me yet, knock on wood. I reuse them till it's time for a new chain. Well, these people were like selling products and they are somewhat respected in the bicycle industry, unlike us. So they can't be giving recommendations <laughs> to people that might turn around and follow them and then die. And then, uh, you know, they're liable. But I don't think we have to worry about that here on the Velo Chumps. You can reuse your, or Chad can talk about reusing a Shimano uh quick links as many times as he wants and uh i don't think anyone is gonna die i'm gonna t i'm yeah. gonna take everyone who's ever used a shimano quick link has reused the shimano <laughs> what are you talking there's about nobody who's ever, there's no one who's ever thrown it away <laughs> i'm sorry they've used it two or three times before they've thought about it twice i'm also convinced that i've the never no. yeah i've only reused all of mine so you've times. never thrown one out after <laughs> one use no <laughs> nobody <laughs> No, he's got a he's got a drawer full of brand yeah. new ones still on the package. He's just been reusing that first yeah. one. Um, I'm, on quick, I'm looking quick. at the the Y the YBN ones on Amazon are twenty four dollars for a set of four, or I'm sorry, a set of six. So 
It's not a horrible. No, and you can reuse them five times. So, you know, it's like the equivalent of uh, 30 Shimano Quick Links, according to the manual, right? But, yeah. Chad, I think that's a fact, not a factoid, that every single person who's ever used a Shimano Quick Link has reused it. That's for you. Has reused a non-reusable. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes, absolutely true. <laughs> so I've had a quickling fail on me on a ride. Ryan, if you remember our first ride together, you referenced this. You referenced this in one of our previous podcasts. That was because of my yeah. overuse of my Shimano quickling. I am. I, <laughs> two, yeah, but you, you probably used it like 18 I, times, not three or four. I actually did not know four. you needed to replace them. <laughs> 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 yeah. the, the clue Don't, was yeah. when you took it off by hand yeah. without a tool yeah. that, that was the sign we're like on the side of the road sun is setting and so randy's the, like the, i just yeah, cleaned the, my drive the hammer train. and the nail press actually i was dumbfounded the first time i seen eric do it with the with the chain remover players i was like that's how you're supposed to do it <laughs> oh i was so impressed <laughs> he made it look effortless and i'm like <laughs> the last, the couple times before that, my hands are breaking because I'm trying to, you know, I'm pressing them together with my fingers. It was the worst. Randy was removing it like a chain around his neck. <laughs> like, There's got to be an easier way. <laughs> every, every fifth link is like bent and cockeyed on his. You don't know how hard it is to to hammer that off of cement without having. <laughs> Eric brought up an interesting conversation with me on a ride the other day. So he's been working on somebody's bike, uh, his gravel bike, I think, um, that has Praxis cranks. I don't remember all of it. Eric will have to Mm -hmm. explain. But the bike comes purposely with a crank set that you can't get accurate spacing on. So your propensity to drop a chain is like, well, no, yeah, that's not whatever. true. It's not the propensity to drop a chain because if you set the limits right, you shouldn't really have a huge risk of dropping yeah, a chain. Well, you, what you don't have in this situation, and I'll explain in a second, is the ability to shift your front derailleur with any kind of – or shift your front – you know, do front shifting with any kind of regular success because I didn't even think about this at the time, but the person said that their shifting was – their front shifting was bad. They said, hey, can you look at this? My front shifting is, is not working well. And I looked at it, and it didn't even cross my mind until later because this was a stock bike. This was a by OEM built by the – or sold by the manufacturer with a GRX front derailleur and Praxis normal road cranks. And without getting too much into the details, Shimano decided with the GRX to move the crank set and the chain line out – just a little bit away from the frame, two and a half millimeters. And doesn't sound like a lot, but when you're talking about the tolerance of a front derailleur and getting the perfect shifts on the chain ring, if the chain rings are not also moved out that two and a half millimeters, turns out it's really hard to get the shifting to work right, which I find baffling that a major bike brand giant would sell a bike set up like this. So we're going to remedy that by actually matching the chain rings and the chain, the crank set and the front derailleur, which is not something that you should have to do after you buy a complete bike from a manufacturer. And I, I don't know that that's Praxis's fault, right? No, it's not that Praxis's con- fault. There was like a oh, two-year window where everyone was saving a couple bucks by putting a Praxis gravel crank, the 4832, with a GRX front derailleur. And now Praxis has remedied that. They offer an option of a GRX-spaced 
uh, cross cr or a gravel crank, right? It's now like in their catalog for OEs to pick. But I mean, that's just the, the case of they wanted to save a couple bucks, so they put a Praxis crank on. I'm assuming the bike manufacturer's got a Praxis crank at a deal slightly cheaper than a Shimano OEM crank, else why would they have done this? But well, I know. I just can't imagine as being one of the big three and having however many of these bikes out there and the, like, I'm just baffled by, like, you have to do the right thing. Even if it saves you five bucks a crank set or whatever, like, you have to do the right thing. So you purposely sold a bike that you knew wouldn't have adequate shifting. Because, like, Eric can explain it, but, it, like, there's, like, six cogs you couldn't use. Well, think about it. No, I mean, you had to pick your poison. Think about it. If the chain rings are too close to the frame then you're going to get chain rub on your derailleur if you think about it right you have a front derailleur the chain's going through it if the if the chain rings are too close you're going to get chain rub on the inside right if you're in the higher cogs if you're in the you know the biggest to the maybe the middle of the cassette right so the way you fix that is you set the limit down a little bit lower and you basically take tension um, out of the derailleur because you're you're letting it come farther back towards its natural position. Does that make sense? So you take tension out of it so it doesn't rub. So it's a little bit, we'll call it, if you're looking straight down it, to the left. Well, the problem is if you take the tension out to allow it to use those gears without rubbing, there's not enough tension to shift it up into the big ring reliably when you do need to shift it into the big ring. So... The thing that's most crazy about that is this was Giant, who makes all the bikes for everyone. Like, didn't someone make one of these and say, hey, I can't get the front shifting to work the way that it should. And someone said, you know, maybe this is not a great idea. I don't know. Maybe the first ones that rolled out of the factory all had GRX cranks. And then as they got later in the build, they threw some Praxis on because that's all they had left. I mean, Trek's notorious for doing that. You'll see the bike in the catalog. It's all matchy match 105 or whatever. And then you go buy that same bike at the shop and it, it has a third party crank on it. It's the, the whole industry is notorious for doing this kind of stuff. Yeah, well, that's disappointing because most people that are buying and this, you know, this was not a. I don't even know what giants they don't they don't really have a like S work slash lab fifty one or lab seventy one uh type of bike. But this was not like a super high end bike. It's a nice bike, I'll, but you know, it shouldn't be up to the consumer to understand the compatibility of some fangled newfangled Shimano thing where they move the chain light out two and a half millimeters. It should be that hey, I buy a bike, it works. That should be the expectation. Yeah. And apparently that's not the case here, which is disappointing to say the least. Yeah. We've talked about this before and <clears throat> bike safety and like you take your car to the mechanic, you expect them to know what they're doing and give you a safe car back. So you're buying a stock OEM bike and it's coming to you defective. Yeah. I mean, they might not think it's defective, but I mean, it did shift just not very well. That's my point. I mean, it's not designed to go together. It didn't it didn't work well at all. It, in 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 fact, she brought it to me because she was having a bad experience with that bike. And it goes back to these people are selling a bike. It's not giving the person a good riding experience. They're out there, they're frustrated. I don't know about you, but 
if you've ever been in a situation where you're trying to shift to the front ring or trying to shift to the big ring because you've started to go, you were going up a hill and now you're starting on a descent or you're going on a, a little, you know, and you, and you want to shift into that big ring and it's not shifting. It's a frustrating situation and it takes away from your, you know, your enjoyment of the ride. So here you have a, a bike brand selling someone a bike that it's taking them, you know, multiple tries 10 seconds to get of holding the derailleur, holding the lever down. So the derailleur finally catches and pushes the chain over to the big ring. It's taking away from their enjoyment of the ride. And now that makes them less likely to stay engaged with, with cycling. You know, it's just, it's, it's like such a short term, you know, you're going to save $5 on OEM. Yeah. Of course it's across a huge volume of bikes, but how much damage is that going to do to your brand or to cycling in general, because people are having a bad time out there. I couldn't agree with you more. I think for that category, what do you want to call it? The the sub $2,500 bike category, whatever that, that may be. I mean, that's still a mid to low end yep. bike. There's a lot that are encompassed in that category. And I do think those bikes probably should have the most practical external cable routing. So if you're going to put a cheaper group set on it, it shifts flawlessly, right? Because I, the guy who buys or the gal who buys a $10,000 bike that doesn't shift right, right? They're going to take it right back to the shop and they're going to get that resolved either through warranty yep. or some machinations because they probably owned other bikes and had great experiences and they, they, they're really into this hobby. But you're right. You buy that $800 bike, it's your first nice bike. You went and got it at the shop and if it doesn't perform well, I that could be yeah. the deal breaker for and the and exactly for the for the whole hobby in general you could just be like you know what this sucks i don't know what people like about it i i'm not having fun out here it's just it's just not it's not meeting my needs as some as an activity that i want to do that i want to spend my time with and now we have someone that's not getting into cycling and they're not being contributing to the cycling community that we've talked about on previous episodes so you know shame on giant for for doing this i'm sure they're not the only brand that did this but I would say shame on them. They should know better and they should be doing the right thing for the customer and for the rider, for the long term of, of the business, for, of the industry. And they should put all the cables on the outside of the down tube. <laughs> well, it, it, you guys on the mountain bike side, have you seen the amount of new mountain bikes that are getting the brake hoses through the headset on a mountain bike? Like, what is going on here? What? How is that helping well, anything well CDA. like speaking of that you know the <laughs> um this uh campy recall is like a hypothetical because well the... we're, but before you go too far with that let's be clear that was specifically an open recall it was because of the way that open designed their frame to have the campy hoses go through the frame it wasn't any other bikes that had the e-car it was just the yeah. the open ones but yeah. it does it, it yeah. is a good point, and I'll let you finish. I just wanted to clarify, it wasn't a Campagnolo problem. It was a open right. problem. Yeah, but it's just, and that's a, and a very expensive bike, but internal hose routing is overrated. I mean, sure, it's clean, and there's pros and cons, but... But what's the pros know, for like, a mountain bike? Um, so they, if you were to ask like an industry expert, I think they would say if you're truly riding technical single track terrain, 
you, I mean, I don't agree with them going through an, an like a fully integrated cockpit. I don't agree with that. But the reason that they're typically integrated like through the down tube is that if you're going over technical t- terrain, you're not going to like sever your brake hose and then all of a sudden you can't brake. It's a shame mountain bikes don't have a top tube. You could just run the cables along <laughs> like cyclocross bikes did for you know 25 <laughs> years. But okay. yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's workarounds and like, I mean, all, I mean, I have two mountain bikes sitting over here that are externally routed because I go single speed and then I f- throw gears on and I purposely bought externally routed bikes and I love them. Mike, what what's your take? What's the pro of putting the hoses, the brake hoses through the headset in a mountain bike situation? I think all of these manufacturers listened to our podcast last week where arrow is everything. <laughs> and it applies to even going eight miles per hour. It does. It does. You're right. No, I think I, I think the majority of the people out there really want cool looking stuff and those naked handlebars with no cables looks pretty cool. And I still think you guys might and and I say you guys being Eric, Chad and Ryan <laughs> not Randy. might be overestimating no, not Randy. I, well, I haven't heard his opinion on this, but um, I've heard you guys say when people are buying these expensive bikes, they like they work on them themselves. I don't no, necessarily no, think I, that. I think I did not only hear that. I said they would go get it fixed. Oh, oh well, uh, all right. But in previous well, podcasts, we've kind of that statement has been thrown out there about people buying ten thousand dollar bikes are working on themselves. I don't think so. I think maybe the racers are, but I think uh, the racers um, have mechanics a lot of complain. Yeah, or that too. But I still think um, the majority of people spending big bucks just either don't care or don't want to work on their own bikes. So you're going to get a badass looking bike with these naked handlebars. And uh, I I admit it, every time these um, bike radar or bike rumor shows these uh, custom mountain bikes from the various shows, they look awesome when they have all the integration going on and they have uh, um, the brake hoses are hidden and they're wireless uh shifters so, and stuff it looks so cool. randy you're the guy that will spend 500 dollars on a very cool looking ospw that we have established basically does nothing but it really is cool looking and it has those cool aesthetics so is this something if you were going to get a mountain bike tomorrow is this something you'd be like i'm all in on the internal cables because it looks really really cool and that's what i care about yeah so you know again also you, got, you forgot the one thing that you did make reference to it last week it is the Hawthorne effect. If it looks cool, I think I'm faster. So yes, I would definitely go with the internal cabling. I think you also pronounced that wrong, Eric. I think it's Ospiwi. Is how. <laughs> <laughs> that that should be the sign off. That's 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 the end of this conversation. <laughs> the Ospiwi was actually a Native American group. Uh, from <laughs> northern New York. <laughs> Go ahead, Randy. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Have fun editing this one. <laughs> By the way, so what I'm looking up right now is... Please please the, like uh, and subscribe. <laughs> Scott, the, the latest Scott cross-country bikes all had the internal routing for the, uh, the shift cables and the rear brake hose. And... Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can go to those pictures and look at them, and they look they look awesome. But definitely, uh, I don't know. I don't know what to think. So, it, isn't it like Kate Courtney's cross-country 
sponsor, isn't it, Scott? Like, is she literally running that handlebar, and is her mechanic literally not throwing her bike across the parking lot after actually, every event when he has to replace it? Actually, her mechanic bearing? of, like, eight years quit. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously. At the beginning like, of this dead. season, her, I think his name was Brad Copeland. They'd been together for, like, eight to ten years, and he pursued other options at the beginning of the season. Nice, awesome. Can we start the river? Can we start the river? It was solely for that handlebar set. You quit. I think that's a very logical yeah, conspiracy. I like theory. it. Hey, looking at these bikes on you heard you here first. Look, Bello looking jumps. at these bikes on Scott's website, I think I found Randy's next mountain bike. Nice. They, they look. Does it have an Ospui? <laughs> no, but they look freak. <laughs> they look awesome. An Ospui. Let's get it right, people. It has to have an Ospui. All right. Well. We hope you enjoyed the show this week. We hope that if you did, you're going to like and subscribe to the podcast. Please leave, it, leave us a review. That would be awesome. We want to hear your feedback. The ratings and review will help the podcast grow. And uh, hopefully we'll... Uh, oh, wait. Actually, next week, Chad the Human Camel will not be here. So it's going to be a reduced crew next week. So we are going to talk a lot about metallurgy just to irritate him when he listens to it. So, you know, tune in next week for an exciting show about that. All right, guys. See you next week. Later. Hey, have you even been listening to what I've been saying? I've been talking to you for the last 10 minutes.